Now the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So I was preparing for this week's sermon uh, and reading um, some of the resources. One of the questions that came up was about who our role models of faith might be from Scripture. So, for example, is it Mary, the Theotokos, the God-bearer? Do we see ourselves as the God-bearer? Or Mary Magdalene, who, this is the icon of Mary here, who was not a prostitute. That came later on when powerful men tried to discredit a powerful woman. But uh, she was healed, and uh, she followed Jesus with such devotion that she was the first to witness the resurrection and the first to preach the good news. Is that your role model? Last week in our calendar we remembered Mary and Martha. What about them as a role model? Or Thomas, quick to say to Jesus that yes, we will go with you to Jerusalem and die with you, but then after the resurrection wanted a few things clarified. Or Peter, who was very good at saying yes, but then oh so often got it wrong. Or Paul, who despite popular opinion was not a legalist. In fact, if you read what he wrote, was the anti-legalist. His was a gospel of grace. Or what about this morning's reading about Jacob? For some, the story we heard this morning about Jacob wrestling with God is their favourite story. And he has become their role model, not because of his cunning and sneakiness, but because for them... That wrestling with God is a metaphor for what faith is all about for them. Wrestling with God. Wrestling with what it means to live in response to all that God offers us. And there's a great deal of honesty about the story. They don't try to make Jacob look any better than he is. He is somebody who is never quite willing to trust God and the promises of God. And he uses all his cunning and sneakery to get what he thinks God is promising him. And as he returns home, he has to face the consequences of that. The consequences of facing a brother he cheated out of an inheritance. So this story is, he is on the border of home. He knows Esau, his brother, is on the other side of the river. He's divided up all his possessions so that Esau can't get it all. And he is now kind of wrestling. Wrestling with God. But also wrestling with his own deceit and dishonesty that's created this broken relationship with his brother. And a pretty dysfunctional family. Like if we read all that goes on in Jacob's family between his two wives and the two mistresses and their children, like a whole lot of those children gang up and want to kill one of the other children, Joseph. So it's dysfunctional. It's not a great family. It doesn't work well. 
And he also has to come to terms with the God of his father and his father's father. And for many, that's what faith is about, coming to terms with our own nature and who God is for us. So I wonder how that story speaks to your experience of faith. Our Gospel reading this morning is one that invites wrestling. It's difficult to know what to make of it or what to do in response to it. So just to put this back in the context of the story that Matthew is telling, Jesus has finished <coughs> teaching about the Kingdom of Heaven. So those are the three readings, the Gospel readings we've been listening to over the last three weeks. And so we heard how the kingdom of heaven is like a wasteful farmer who just throws and scatters seed all over the place. And some of it grows and some of it doesn't. And the kingdom of heaven is like, well, a crop which has good, good seed in it, but also weeds and you just let it all grow up together until the harvest time. Or the kingdom of heaven is like having weedy mustard seeds and sowing that. So mustard seeds were like gorse. No one planted mustard seeds deliberately. It was a weed. Or the kingdom of heaven is like hiding yeast in vast quantities of flour, and so on. You know the stories. And when Jesus finishes, he goes home to Nazareth, where he doesn't get the best reception. People aren't super excited to see him. They think that he's being quite uppity. Aren't you Mary's son? There's a little bit of a slur on that. And aren't these your brothers and sisters? And aren't you just a carpenter? Who are you to come here and to act like a rabbi? And then he hears that his cousin John has been beheaded at one of Herod's debauched parties. Where the guests were all the powerful and the wannabes, and where there was too much of everything. Food drink, woman. And as a consequence of that, John is executed on a whim. There are many that would suggest that John was more than just his cousin. That John was also a friend, a mentor, a teacher. That Jesus, in fact, was a disciple of John's. That John was his rabbi. And he has now been executed. So on the face of that, in the face of the grief and maybe the anger in response to that, Jesus gets in a boat and he goes off to be on his own. But he's not alone in his grief or his anger. And a great crowd gathers, maybe out of the same deep sense of powerlessness, in the face of such a brutal and callous act. And they seek him out because John was their prophet. John wasn't just a person in the Bible, but he was a person of importance and influence. And so this great crowd goes to find Jesus to share their pain and grief with him. Earlier this year, 
in another time, in another age. Bonnie and I went to the Elton John concert that got cut short because he was sick. And um, I don't know, there were 30 or 40,000 people there. And so when we read that there were 5,000 men, they had to go up Bonnie afterwards, 5,000 men plus women and children, uh, it doesn't sound a very big crowd, does it? Oh, this is the little crowd. But actually that is a bigger crowd than the population of all but the largest cities. A Roman legion, at its best, was 6,000 soldiers. And they estimate that that crowd could be up to 12,000 people. That is the size of two Roman legions. And I think at this point there was one Roman legion stationed in Palestine. I tried to find it out yesterday. And as best as I could tell, that one legion was scattered across the various points that it needed to be at. It was just there to keep the crowds in control. So that means this is bigger than the entire armed presence of the Roman army in that part of the world. This is a huge crowd. And it would have attracted attention. Herod would have known this crowd was there. The Romans would have known this crowd was there. And John had just been executed. This is a risky gathering. And so this huge crowd gathers with Jesus. And he is moved with compassion. Now, this isn't just feeling a little bit sad, but the Greek that's at play here is... It's a, an emotion that comes from the guts, the whole digestive system. This is a gut-wrenching compassion that compels Jesus to act despite his own grief. And so he shares their grief and helplessness. He meets them in their weakness and he offers healing. Then the disciples note the time and suggest that Jesus sends this vast crowd away to find time. This large crowd of hungry people. And what they suggest is impossible. There is simply not enough food in the surrounding villages to feed that number of people. And Jesus responds and says, don't send them away. You feed them. Which... Also seems impossible because all they have is five loaves of bread and two fish, which is barely enough to feed them. But Jesus takes this meagre pile of food, which is so little compared to the banquet that Herod had thrown, and he gives thanks, and he gives it to his disciples to share. And so this picture is the disciple sharing that bread. At the end, everyone had eaten more than enough. Which is another little detail that flows over us because most of us have more than enough whenever we want. Which is probably too often. And, in my case, anyway. And, but these people, more than enough is not an experience that many, many of them had ever had. These are people who are constantly hungry who barely have enough food to survive. 
And at this meal, they have more than enough. More than enough, and there are 12 basketfuls of food left over. Now, I'm not going to try to explain how that happens. I've probably given sermons about that in the past, and I've heard sermons about that in the past, and they were all excellent, but I'm going to suggest that that misses the point. Matthew wasn't interested in how it happened. He was just interested in that it did happen. And he was much more interested in contrasting those two meals. Herod's meal, where a few had far too much, and the countryside was impoverished because of it. And Jesus' meal, where a huge crowd had more than enough, and no one was impoverished. point of the story is that the disciples were invited to be as moved with compassion as Jesus was, but with the amount of faith the size of a mustard seed and the amount of food available being like a mustard seed given the task at hand, they ended up with food left over. The hidden yeast and the vast quantity of flour had been found. So going back to our story about Jacob wrestling, there is a lot to wrestle with here. We want to wrestle with how did this happen. We want an explanation. We should wrestle with and often ignore that Jesus said to the disciples, you do it. And then they did, with help. And we could wrestle with how the story speaks to our weekly gathering around the communion table. Because this story does connect to that event. So this mosaic is from Israel, it's from the church of Tugba. Hope I got my G's and B's around the right way there. Uh, which is a very old Orthodox church. And it's actually not the story, it's the site of one of the post-resurrection uh, events. Uh, but you can see there two fish and four loaves of bread. But in that story there were five loaves of bread. The other loaf is on the communion table. And so for those people, whenever they gathered, they remembered not only the Lord's Supper, but all the other stories that went with that. And I think often we are tempted to think of this holy and special meal and we think about how that reminds us of the Lord's Supper, and that's as far back as we go. But actually for those disciples who gathered in that room with Jesus, this wasn't just a meal with Jesus, the last meal with Jesus. It was a meal that reminded them of all the times that Jesus had fed great crowds of people. And it reminded them of all the times that Jesus had been invited to eat with people he should not have eaten with. He should not have mixed with. And he accepted that invitation and he ate with them. And in doing so he honoured them and he blessed them. And made himself unclean and outcast. And it also reminded them of how in... Ezekiel and Isaiah, 
when they talk about the kingdom of God, the reign of heaven, they describe that in terms of being a great banquet, when all will have enough and justice will reign. So as they gathered, they saw how that was happening in Jesus' ministry. So when we gather around this table, we are reminded, we are offered, we are invited to remember the story of the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. We are, remind, we are invited to remember the other great feeding stories, the times that Jesus accepted these invitations. We are remind, invited to remember that the kingdom of heaven is like a great banquet when all have enough to eat. When we do gather, we know that we too are being fed with more than we can imagine. We are being fed with compassion and generosity and grace and forgiveness and love. We are being fed with God's life. And even when we're not feeling worthy, we are invited in and honoured and blessed, just as Jesus honoured and blessed those who were described as not worthy. The temptation is to leave it there. The danger with that is if it comes about me. Now while all of that is true, and all of that is important. When we do that, we forget that Jesus said to his disciples, Now you feed them with what little you have. Now you feed them with what little you have. And to be honest, I don't know what to do about that. I don't know where to begin. I support Food Bank. We look for ways to support Kai Aroha. But my suspicion is the kingdom of heaven, the reign of God, is more than that. When I preside at the table, when I gather with others at the table, I am being invited to ask, for example, why are so many people in our country hungry? Why do we need food banks? Why do we need Kaioroha? When so many people have more than enough food, why are some people not have why do some people not have enough? And why are so many people around the world, why do so many people around the world not have enough food? Why do so many people die of malnutrition and starvation when we in the West dump vast quantities into rubbish heaps. I don't know the answers to that and I don't know what to do with that. But I do know that I am being invited to be moved with compassion with the instruction you feed them. So on the face of all of that I feel like Jacob Wrestler. So what do you think? 
What are your thoughts about all of that? I invite you to turn to your neighbour and have a conversation.